Would you join me in prayer this morning as we prepare ourselves to hear from God's Word? Father, we acknowledge today that you are God, that you are worthy of our time, you are worthy of our talents, you are worthy of all that you've blessed us with. We recognize that many times we are tempted to live as if you are not God. And so we confess to you the moments in our lives where we have become so self-reliant that we have forsaken your presence, your promises, and your provision. We are also a people this morning who bow before you recognizing that all that is good comes from you. Our families, our friendships, our church, the employment we have, our retirement, and in particular, over the last several years, we have become cognizant of this truth the gift of health. For this, we give you thanks. Teach us what it means to live as a people that are grateful and recognizing that all that we have comes from you. Teach us what it means to be a people this morning that needs a Savior and has hope because a Savior has been given. Teach us this morning to trust that as we make our requests known to you, you will provide what we need. But today, Lord, in this very moment, I ask for the profound gift of your Spirit to minister in ways that I cannot in and of myself, but through the simplicity of thought, as I've reflected upon your word, that your spirit's truth might be brought to bear in each one of us. We believe that through the power of your spirit, we can experience the joy of fellowship with you. We believe that through the indwelling of your spirit, we can know that we belong to you. And we believe that through the leading of your spirit, we can live lives marked by grace, mercy, truth, and joy, but above all things, marked by love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it is so good to see so many faces, and um, I have learned as a pastor over the years to not read people's facial expressions. but it helps when you smile. Uh, one of the things that's important for me as a pastor, I think, is to know people. And as the church grows, that becomes a little harder. I don't know everyone. Some of you are acquaintances. Some of you are friends. Uh, some of you, I don't think I have any enemies, not at least overtly known to me. Uh, but one of the key things in Christian fellowship, this is just before I get into the Word, don't worry, I'll do that in a moment, 
is that we recognize we do not worship in the solitary individualistic way, but that we come together to honor God as a people of God. And so community matters. Fellowship matters. Christian friendship matters. You may feel at times that it's hard to develop meaningful friendships uh, and it's hard to get to know each other, but it can begin with just one. And I want to encourage you to look at the people around you. Most of you look friendly, most of you. Uh, there are resources and friendships here that can be a blessing to you. I can tell you as a Christian, as a pastor, I thank God for the friendships I have, for it helps me to live as God wants me to live. Amen? So let me get to the Word. Are you happy to be here? <laughs> Matthew chapter 3, reading from verse 13 through to 17. I'm reading from the NRSV. Hear the Word of the Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly... The heavens were opened to him, and he saw God's Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The Word of the Lord. John the Baptist, the character we're all familiar with. A man that resembles so much the prophets of old that he is confused as Elijah. The Bible will describe John as a preparatory figure. He is the one that prepares the way for the Messiah. In fact, in the opening chapters of Matthew, when we introduced to John, we see that he has a radical message of preparation. He says early on, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John was this, this prophet with a perspective of the coming Messiah that required people to get their act together. In fact, he preached with such, uh, uh, you know, confidence and with such clarity that many started to follow John. Uh, he's the one who early on says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. Listen to him. And I am not worthy to carry his sandals because he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You think I'm a hard preacher. John makes me look like a puppy. He, he, he has this perspective of Jesus as the one that not only comes to uh, 
to save, but to save Israel. He has this perspective of Jesus uh, as the Lord who would come with his winnowing fork to clear the threshing floor and to burn up the chaff. Woo! His perspective of Jesus is rooted in an understanding of a Messiah that will come and that would want to make all things right, beginning with Israel, and he believes so strongly that this Messiah would look a particular way. In fact, when Jesus arrives, the very certainty of John the Baptist is brought into question. Instead, of a conquering Messiah, the incarnate Christ, the Messiah Jesus, comes as a vulnerable infant at a time where a king wants to kill him. The the, the Jesus that shows up at the Jordan is not the one with a winnowing fork clearing the threshing floor, but one who presents himself to John the Baptist and says, for the sake of righteousness, baptize me. The the, the Jesus that shows up to John challenges him so much so that in just a few chapters later, he says to him, are you you the one? Are you the one that I was so certain of? Are you the one that, that promised you would come to save us because I'm having my doubts? Do you know, uh, this is not a part of the sermon, but because I am a very generous person by nature. It's a gift, free gift. Matthew chapter 11 is perhaps one of the most important lessons that we as Christians must learn. Do you know what the message is? The lesson is? We must allow Jesus to be Jesus, God to be God. John the Baptist's perspective of Christ is rooted in Old Testament prophetic anticipation, but in some ways he was right and in some ways he was wrong. His expectations of the Messiah was rooted in a hope that was true, but not complete. And here's what I want to say before I get into the text. I think that Christians who begin to take Jesus seriously begins to become familiar, comfortable perhaps, anticipating that what we want may not always be what God wants. What we want him to be may not be what he chooses to be. One of the hardest prayers to pray, if we take it seriously, is the prayer that Jesus himself gives his disciples when he says, pray this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Say it with me, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. That's a dangerous prayer. That's the prayer that says to us that we may have good desires, we may have good 
request. We may have things that we would love for God to do, as we often do, but that when we pray such a prayer, we are ultimately saying, your will for my life and for this life that you've given us is ultimately the starting point to me truly following you. Now, John has this crisis moment in Matthew chapter 11, and Jesus responds to him in his concern and uncertainty by expressing very clearly to him when he says to his disciples, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. You remember this? The lame walk, the deaf are made to hear. I love this one. The poor has the good news brought to them. You know what Jesus does in that particular moment of uncertainty where the expectations of John is not met in what he thought Jesus should be? He offers him an answer that goes something like this. I know what you think I should be. And yes, I am the Messiah, but I am so much more than what you alone want me to be. I am the hope not only for Israel, but I'm a hope for the hurting, the broken, the poor, the vulnerable, the hopeless. The Jesus that I want may very well be a Jesus that meets Stu's needs. But the Messiah that arrives on the banks of the River Jordan is the Jesus the world needs. And when we begin as the church to pray that God's will would be done and not our own, we begin to discern the way of life. Now, that's not my sermon. There was no laughter. I, I really think I'm funny, by the way. I really... Oh, man, they are tough today, boy, I tell you. <laughs> Jesus shows up at the bank of the Jordan, and he insists on being baptized, and rightly so, John reacts. He says, no, I shouldn't baptize you. You should probably baptize me. I think if you study the Scripture, honestly, the first question you ask is, why did Jesus really get baptized? Because John was baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. Clearly, Jesus is the only person the Bible describes as being without sin. But the Apostle Paul, speaking to the early church, says this. I think we could see it this way, that Paul explains to us why Jesus was baptized when he says, he, that is Jesus, became sin who knew no sin, so that we may become his righteousness. Let me put it to you differently. That is that the Son of God, the Messiah, steps into the waters of baptism to save humanity. Let me say it differently. He becomes like us and identifies with our own brokenness and even our sin so that we may become like him. The reason Jesus gets into the waters of baptism 
is because when God came down to save, he did not wave a magic wand from a distance, but he got into the very same waters that reminded his people of their own shortcomings. And from the place at which they had failed, he steps in and out and in victory and in obedience to the Father and in following the Spirit, redeems and saves those who could not save himself. The Jesus we see in the baptism narrative of Matthew is the Messiah God who steps into the waters of the people who could not save themselves so that he may be their savior. Now that's as good as I get today. You don't seem that impressed. Okay, I'll try a little harder. What does it mean for Jesus to get into the waters? Do you know that in the Bible, the waters, water represents different things? It represents chaos. Do you know that? The Spirit hovers over the waters in creation, separating the sky from the waters so that there would be an ordered creation. The psalmist teaches us that the waters are also a place of danger. Now, I just have to be honest with you. I like the idea of boats. I don't do well in them. So it's not hard for me to preach about the danger of water. I do not, I, I get sick just standing on the shore watching the waves. That's how bad it is for me. The psalmist speaks of Leviathan, like this multi-headed serpent that dwells in the deep. When the people on earth disobeyed and rejected God, the waters from heaven became their judgment. Waters, in some sense, in the Old Testament, represents the chaos, the turmoil, and even the judgment of God. But water does not only represent chaos. It also represents a place of transition and change. When Israel was liberated from Egyptian slavery, the first point of departure was to cross through the Sea of Reeds, which we call the Red Sea. By the hand of God, a way is made through the water, and the waters there represent a place of transition and change, leaving behind that which once was in order to become open to what God wants to do in the future. At the end of their wilderness journey, waters become the transition point again, where the people are led through the Jordan waters into the promised land. And there again we see that God is present in the waters, separating it and commanding the people to put the stones as a memoriam so that they could tell future generations that their God stood in the waters with them so that they could cross into the promise of fulfillment that he made. You see, the waters are waters of chaos. It can also be waters of transition. It can also be a place of healing. Jesus, in John's gospel, commands the blind man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, let me just say something about a friend of mine. I'm not going to name him today, but... He's taking a group to Israel in a little while. I really want to go so bad. 
uh, those who have gone have told me stories about how wonderful it is to see the Bible come alive, right? You go to the real places and you see the real things. I have been told that sometimes, you know, it's like what you see on TV is not really the way it is. And one of the things that I've been told is that some of the rivers and the waterways and the pools that was there was not as pristine as uh, Banff Hot Springs. <laughs> Stay with me for a second. Uh, the, the, the waters that Jesus sends that man to may very well not have been as clean, but somehow the one who, who uses water to heal can use just about anything <laughs> to bring hope to just about anyone. Water, chaos, transition, and healing. Did you notice in the text that Jesus goes out to the Jordan? Everyone wondered why. Here's what biblical scholars teach us. Jesus goes out to the Jordan where John was baptizing because he is he's coming to pick up the fulfillment of the promise of God for Israel. He's coming to join the people who have failed to walk the way they need to walk. Some Bible scholars say it this way. They say Jesus is the new Israel. He is the one that fulfills what the people cannot do. And I think it is incredibly remarkable that he goes and jumps into the very same water where in Joshua chapter 4, God told the people, build a monument so that you will not forget who I am. I think it is absolutely powerful that Jesus gets into the same place of transition so as to say the people there, the God who led your ancestors out of Egyptian slavery and through the Red Sea and through the wilderness despite their disobedience and through the Jordan into the land of promise is still the God who is able to save. And he comes for you again and he steps into the waters again so that he would liberate you again. I don't know what waters you are in. Perhaps for some of us, it's chaotic. Perhaps for some of us, it feels troubled. Uh, you know, Jesus has a strange relationship with water, right? Because he, he sleeps when the storms come. And yet his presence makes all the difference, even in the chaos, even in the hard places. Here's, here's what I've realized is, is I've realized that God does not spare the holy from incredibly unholy moments. God does not spare his followers from challenges. God does not spare us from the rough seas of life. This doesn't speak to everyone. Some of you are sitting here and going, you know, I'm just, I'm just fishing right now and the lake is calm. God bless you. But just like we can't control the wind, storms come. And when they come, this scripture says to us that our God steps into the storm, into the water, into the turmoil, into the problem, into the challenge, and only he alone can bring us out. Some of us in place of transition. You know what I, I, I learned through my studies over the years is that we don't think much about the transitions in our life. They kind of just happen to us. You know, like middle age. 
Didn't think much about it. But here I am wanting to buy a red sports car. <laughs> Go for hair implants. You all think I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> we don't think about what it means when we get married. Stars in our eyes and rocks in our head. We sing that foreigner song, you know, I want to know what love is and I want you to show me. And the years will show you what love is. Right, Wally? The longer you marry, the more you realize how much you learn about what it means to love. You know what's the hardest thing about what I'm saying right now is I forgot my train of thought. <laughs> and it was going to be a great point. Transitions. I found it. When we have children, we, 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 don't, we don't realize what that means until we have them. The desire to have children, to have kids that look like us and that we can love and it can fill something in us is a noble and a good and an honest desire. But boy, it's hard to raise children. Can I get an amen? amen? And then we get to that place in life where, where we are no longer working. And when the other side of what has so long defined and shaped how we think about ourselves. Don't you think it's a sad thing that our value is often just contingent upon our work? And so when we are broken away from that which defines us for so long, many seniors and many retired folks here in our church can attest to this, there is a real sense of searching again for who I am. I've missed some transitions in the in-between, in the in like when your children leave home and when they start dating people and you go, I used to be all to you, but I'm working through that. And yet in every transition, and especially in the hard ones, where we lose, where life takes from us, when we end up saying these kinds of things, I didn't want it to be this way. I had hoped, especially in those transitions, we need the Savior that steps into the water. Healing. The waters can represent healing. And yet some of us have to really ask ourselves the honest question of whether we really want to be healed from some of the things that pains us. I know that sounds like a strange thing to see and to say, but, but for some of us, our sickness or our sin or our brokenness, our problem has so long defined us that we are far more comfortable living that way as opposed to being liberated from what creates the problem. Jesus, in John's gospel, bends down and takes out a basin of water like a servant and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter says, like John, I need to do that for you. <laughs> 
You know what Jesus says to Peter? He says some strong things to Peter, and yet he loves Peter. And yet today we consider Peter to be one of the foundations of the early church. He says to him, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you have no part with me. I wonder if the waters for you and I might be different. Uh, Chaos, turmoil, problem, challenge, name it. Don't ever judge people by their looks, by the way. You never know what they're dealing with. Even the guy in the Ford F-150 that cuts you off in traffic. All those with the Ford F-150, just thank you, Pastor, for giving me grace. Maybe you're in a point of transition considering change and you're not certain about where things will go. But maybe there are some of you who says this new year has to be different. Stu, I'm tired. I'm tired living in a way that I know God doesn't want me to live. I'm tired of of struggling in my own strength. And here the grace of God is spoken to us through the words of Jesus himself, the one who steps into the water. If we would allow him to minister to us, he can make possible what you have been led to believe is impossible. I close with this thought. It is as Jesus emerges from the water that we hear the heavenly voice. We don't know if this voice was really heard by many others. It would seem that in the other Gospels, according to John chapter 1, verse 34, that John the Baptist may have heard it, but we can't say for sure. But the voice of God, the voice of the Father, speaks these words. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved child. In him, I am well pleased. Let me say this. I think that when we allow God to come into our circumstance... And we begin to trust him despite where we may find ourselves. The true cry of our heart to know that we are loved and that God is pleased with us is met through the presence of God's Spirit. So many of us live this way as if we are not loved. And as if God takes no delight in us. That's a, that's a hard way to live. Do you see the God who comes? In the season of Epiphany, do you see the God who comes for you? The God who steps into the mess and the the mayhem and the disappointment and the hurt, the God who is true and faithful and able. 
Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you step into our lives, not just in the good times, but that by choice, by love's choice, by divine choice, you come into our real lives. I pray that this morning the word that has been proclaimed, the word that has been preached, would be received as a word of hope. And no matter the season, no matter the waters, the depth of it, the turmoil of it, the change that is upon us, or the needs we have, might keep us from your healing touch and your power and your strength. Would today you do that which only you can do in your people? May today chains be broken and hope be birthed. May today your spirit minister anew and afresh to those who of us who have been around for a long time and have seen that and seen all things and done that, I pray that you would revitalize your church with the fresh outpouring of your Spirit so that we would again acknowledge that you are God and worship you. Amen.